0: Hello and welcome to Councilcast, the official podcast of the Council of Insurance Agents and Brokers. Uh, We are here with more resources, discussion and thought leadership uh, to help your business. My name is Michael Koenig. I'm the Director of Digital Strategy for the Council and a recovering Hill employee. And I'm hosting uh, the first of what I hope is many discussions with the Council's Government Affairs team uh, talking about the issues that affect your business and what's going on here in D.C. Uh, seated strangely to my left, we have.
1: I'm Joel Wood, uh, head of government affairs here at the CIAB.
0: And
2: to his left, you have Joel Copperud. I'm vice president of government affairs at and the he's, council.
1: He's definitely to my left.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and.
3: And the newest addition, Blair Bartlett uh, to government affairs, also a recovering Hill employee.
1: Blair had uh, four different uh, congressional offices on the Republican side. Uh, most recently,. Uh, working for a member from uh, Staten Island and uh, uh, has been a member of our team for several months. So we welcome this opportunity. Michael, you want us to just dive on in? Yeah, let's get started.
0: I, I know we have some omnibus and some flood update stuff, so let's
1: yeah, get I well, Normally, I would say, you know, where we stand on tax reform and health care is the most important stuff, and we want to talk about that very briefly. But uh, the, the big uh, news of this week is... Uh, um, yet another omnibus uh, appropriations bill that uh, Congress is trying to uh, uh, get through uh, today, uh, which is Thursday. And, um, and there are repercussions, uh, particularly with respect to the National Flood Insurance Program. Uh, Chairman Jeb Hensling of the House Financial Services Committee has been adamant uh, for many years that he demands actuarial soundness uh, reforms to the program. He's not a particular fan of the program. He is retiring this year. And um, and so he wants to, and it appears he's going to be successful in, disengaging the, uh, the NFIP extension. And we've had a number of these just in the past couple of years um, from the appropriations process. So to extend the NFIP for on, only until the end of July, we and all the other major industry associations today signed a strong letter to Everyone in the House of Representatives on this, Blair. Do you want to elaborate on what you expect on the NFIP reforms? And the thought being that if they disengage this uh, with a July thirty-first deadline, that that will force the Senate. The House has passed a comprehensive reform, and we basically support it. And uh, but uh, there are—it's been caught up, snagged in the Senate Banking Committee.
3: Yeah, so that uh, reform package that the House sent over to the Senate was pretty much dead on arrival, which is why it has taken so long for the Senate to consider something because they feel that they have to start from scratch. And so the main focus, I think, for Senator Crapo from Idaho, who is chairman of the Senate Banking Committee, it has been his uh, regulatory reform bill. And, and so now that that is getting you know getting moved on the hope is that we would get to flood but getting something done by July 31st in a, a a few months away from election isn't likely so it's possible that it's going to be another few months reauthorization until the next spending bill which would be September 30th yeah this
1: is kind of a terrible circumstance and yeah. I, I really don't see um you know, any significant movement towards where the House position is. Michael, you used to work for Senator Sherrod Brown, who's the ranking Democrat on the Senate Banking Committee. I was with him just the day before yesterday, and he remains adamant that the surplus lines provisions that would make it easier for companies to uh, meet the NFIP criteria um, by uh, utilization of surplus lines products and, and increasing private marketplace uh, is uh, something he thinks is going to lead to cherry-picking and adverse election. He's strongly opposed to it. Likewise, even there's re- some Republican opposition to that in the Senate Banking Committee. And so, as strongly as we disagree with Senator Brown's sentiment on that, uh, and as much as we want to see those private provisions move forward, I'm just at a loss to see how, um, you know, how this is all going to be reconciled in the next couple of months, but it's going to be a little bit of a saga.
3: It won't be, and and I I hope that leadership on both sides in the Senate and the House wouldn't let a lapse occur during the middle of hurricane season.
2: Okay. Uh, You know, part of this also is that they have eyes on what's happening in November, right? And he knows, I think Chairman Hensling knows, that if he wants a real reform, this is his last chance. I think everyone is bracing themselves for a big wave around the corner and probably some leadership changes in the Financial Services Committee. Regardless, there's going to be leadership changes on both sides of the aisle, but if Jeb really wants to have a heavy hand in reforming, the National Flood Insurance Program. This is his last stand. Yeah. If they just kick the can, if they attached it, if it successfully, which is what we want, to the omnibus, that's his last. This is his last shot at actually reforming the program. And if if they don't reform the program before the election, and there is a wave, we're going to have Chairman Waters in leading the Financial Services Committee, uh, and that's going to be. She's been fantastic on the flood insurance program. She's been great on terrorism insurance programs. Any federal program that boosts markets, she's always been on our side on this. Unfortunately, oh. it's going to be. And- well, that's true. <laughs> you can't fight that. You can't fight that. But it is going to be an interesting dynamic next year, particularly since she's the loudest voice Always. on impeachment. So, I mean, that's going to be for a year.
1: She was the one raising the cherry-picking arguments first and foremost. But, but okay, I will, I will grant you that and congratulate you on your warm relationship with um, (laughs) (laughs) what you believe it will be, Chairwoman uh, Maxine Waters of the House Financial Services Committee. Let's. I'm going to quickly move on. I'm going to give a quick commentary on tax, and then I want uh, any additional insights. But particularly moving to health care. Uh, and what provisions that are relevant to our member firms on the uh, uh, preservation of the employer-provided group health insurance marketplace. On the tax front, obviously, we are in a bit of a purgatory right now with respect to the pass-through treatment. Uh, it is our and, and whether or not our pass-through firms, S-corporations, LLCs, partnerships will be able to avail themselves of the special 20% rate that was included in the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of late last fall. You'll recall that there was an, a, a wide gaping exemption for services industries of which uh, one would naturally think that we would be included in that uh, from being able to uh, to receive that special treatment. Uh, It is our firm belief, uh, and we are expressing this to the Treasury Department and other officials, and we are optimistic, I wouldn't say completely confident, but we are optimistic that we will prevail, that when you take uh, the morass of all the provisions of that bill that giveth uh, exemptions and tax breaks and then taketh away and juxtapose that on top of the U.S. tax code that insurance, uh, we wish it was more explicitly insurance brokerage services, but the word insurance is left standing. And I think it is pretty damn hard to argue the case that what you are engaged in is not the business of insurance. Uh, This being said, it is a huge thicket that the Treasury Department is trying to work its way through and the treatment of all these different uh, groups, uh, because there, there was just a lot given the nature of how the tax bill was passed, that is extremely murky. And and I feel for those folks over at Treasury that are trying to figure this out. We are hoping that we get a final answer on this by June, uh, but that may be wishful thinking. It may, it may bleed into the fall. Anything additionally that you two want to add on that?
2: We've got some good conversations going with Treasury, I think, around the corner FIO, the Federal Insurance Office, who we are really close with them has always been a good advocate for our interests i think they want to be they want to go to bat for us and i think we're going to work as closely with them as possible there's too soon to to say exactly how they're going to be our voice but i think that they want to stand there with us which is good
1: well this is critical for two-thirds of our member firms are treated as are structured as pass-throughs and honestly we've heard from some firms that are that are Looking at doing the math uh, in terms of, of switching over to a C corporation, so the, we need answers on this as soon as possible, and we are striving valiantly uh, to try to get those. So, Joel, I'll now pass the buck to you with respect to all things healthcare.
2: Yeah, so I mean, all things healthcare. I mean, I hate to sound like a broken record on this, you know, we continue to fight for preservation of employee sponsored insurance, and that fight has now you know it's faded into or slowly evolving into stabilizing the individual market and so we've been pretty loud champions of alexander murray legislation which would restore csr payments to insurance companies and allow more flexibility with 1332 waivers. That legislation- uh, But our
1: guys aren't in the individual market, so the, why do we care?
2: The, we care because if the, as those devolve and implode, that's slowly going to creep over into the individual space. Premiums are going to go up. We know if you're in the purchase in purchasing the individual market, you're still going to get treated, but someone's got to pay for that. And who's going to pay for that? It's going to be our members' clients. Uh, so that's the ultimate risk. And this is all happening with single payer single payer single payer on the horizon with a potential big blue wave around the corner and so as
1: you're going to be celebrating on election night if you get this wave that you're so confident about that is going to sweep Nancy Pelosi back into the speakership our, our, how, what are what are you going to say to our members about how we this is going to benefit them with respect to rolling back the tides right uh, so this is pay, the anxiety point this
2: should be the anxiety point of our industry anyone involved in the healthcare Industry is is single payer, and you know Republicans have been in control. They they control every lever of government up and down, from state legislatures all the way up to the presidency. This has been their number one issue to fix Obamacare, and they haven't done anything. They failed at everything. In fact, what they have been doing is they pulling out the lynchpins in the individual market and making it even worse intentionally. So what we are doing, you know, we're working to try to just to just just stabilize it. Do whatever. Right now, the legislation that's out there is just a band aid. No one thinks that's the solution, but we are supportive of the solution of of You know, so Alexander Murray, like I said, restore CSR payments. Thirteen thirty. You know, more state flexibility. We need higher risk pools to allow catastrophic coverage. Uh, It doesn't look like that's going to get attached to the omnibus. It's now complicated with abortion language uh, to get to get enough Republicans on the far right to get on board with this stabilization package. They are adamant that no federal funding is going to go to a plan that also covers abortions. Even though Hyde language specifically says no federal funding can cover abortions, they're taking it to an extreme, saying no plan can access these dollars, even if they separately provide uh, abortion. And that's a non-starter I
1: might, I might, for— I might argue that that's not extreme. But, well, okay, but, well,
2: well. so Patty Murray and a lot of the Democratic champions that would otherwise see this to the finish line, it's a non-starter. But I, so, do, th-
1: I do think, though, that we are at—there's a little bit of a cliff here and that uh, Leader McConnell— Guaranteed Senator Susan Collins that her stabilization legislation for uh, the cost-sharing subsidies and the reinsurance was going to be enacted. Um, it it, be voted it, it, it yeah. was going to be voted on, and uh, and that that can happen in the Senate. But there seems to be, I, I would say, there is a a, a unhealthy uh, reluctance on the part of right wingers in the you know, in the House. To accept anything that could be perceived as shoring up Obamacare, we think this is short short-sighted because you're more likely to move towards these Medicare for all types of liberal solutions in exactly. the absence of shoring up the individual and exchange in Right, base. and I
2: think that's the big threat. I, we can talk politics, right? I think that we all anticipate a pretty big wave in November, particularly seeing what happened in Alabama, what happened in Pennsylvania, oh, and yeah. if, so. Do but no, this, let's bring this back to health policy, right? So if, if I can tell you, Democrats are trying to build a narrative on what their solution is, what their response is to repeal and replace. Single payer is the far, you know, it's it's the the most egregious solution. And the middle between single payer and just preserving Obamacare is more Medicare and Medicaid buy-in options. And those are being floated now. We're gonna see those aggressively being touted if they win back the house. Right now, more than half of the House Democratic caucus is signed on board with single payer for all which the federal government says it would cost $32 trillion to taxpayers. That's double the size of the federal revenue right now. That's insane. So they're And they know that's insane. And they're just being pressured from the Elizabeth Warrens far left to jump
1: on board with that. Every but single one ground, of your presidential ground, candidates in the United States Senate right now, of which there are five of them, are signed on to Bernie Sanders as right. a um, single payer. So
2: their middle ground right no. now is Medicare. To not go that direction, it is Medicare buy-in options for 55 and up. Uh, Medicaid expansion they, these are all threats to the employer- provided model so right now we need to be putting all of our eggs and pressuring Republicans to pass the stabilization bill and stop the
1: bleeding so that Democrats don't inherit a system that's already broken uh, with that uh, I will I will note that when Joel talks about the Democratic caucus and I think about this election I'm reminded of the late great Mo Udall who, Ran for the Democratic caucus chair in the early 1970s. He went to all of his colleagues. They all assured him that he was. they were going to vote for him. And on secret ballot, he lost by one vote. His quote that day was, Today I learned the difference between a caucus and a cactus. With a cactus, the pricks are on the outside. So, Michael, you want to...
0: Thank well, I time. just I, I didn't want to let you guys go without addressing the fact that uh, it's been a crazy week on top of other crazy weeks. We had a uh, Democrat uh, win narrowly, it looks like, in a, a district that President Trump won by 20 points two years ago. Uh, we had the secretary of state fired via tweet 14 months into the administration Is the yeah. Any insights from And we also had
1: an independent survey by Axios that came out that said that if the elections were today, five Democratic senators would lose their seats to a Republican. So, Those yes, poll I numbers mean, were
2: the, so bogus. That, that, that Let me tell you, I was with Seth Moulton last night and <laughs> Joe Crowley last night. Joe Crowley is making it no secret President that he's going to. President Seth gonna, Moulton. President of Seth Moulton and Speaker Joe Crowley, who I was with last night. Joe Crowley is going to challenge Nancy Pelosi most likely for leadership posts, and Seth Moulton is leading the charge that. Topple her and endorse a lot of veterans and incumbents who will not vote for speaker Pelosi much like the guy who just won in Pennsylvania uh, Connor lamb Uh, That was one of his one of his endorsements. They were both very enthusiastic last night Uh, And it's interesting to hear them talk about there's gonna be leadership changes probably on both sides of the aisle It's gonna be a super interesting November no matter how you slice or dice it Uh, but the theory goes now for Nancy Pelosi's fate is if there's a five or six seat majority for Democrats she probably won't stand because there's already six to 10 Democrats that are committed to voting against her. However, if it's a 20 to 30 seat majority for Democrats, she might still stay in. So it's gonna be interesting to see. I think most pro-business moderate Democrats do not want her to stay. I think we all recognize the value that she's added, but she's become more of a liability than an asset to the party. And we'll see where where that takes us.
1: On this point, uh, I would say Republicans are down on their knees praying for her health every day. (laughs) She's the best thing we got going for us, so.
0: Well, thank you, Joel, Joel, and Blair, for joining us. Um, again, I hope this is the first in a series of government affairs updates we have from this team uh, to help you guys with your businesses and, and what you've got going on uh, in your hometowns. Uh, if you have any questions for us, uh, you can find us at www.ciab.com, uh, or you can reach out to us on Twitter at the CIAB. Thanks, everybody, and see you next time. Thank you. guys.